Well, good morning again. And I just want to say I am really looking forward to next week when I get to see so many of you again. Ah, it's going to be fantastic. And even as I say that, I'm looking forward even more to the day when I can see all of us together under the same roof. Won't that be great? And until that day comes, please know that we are committed to keeping these online services going and not just going, but we're going to keep getting better and better and better at them. We're going to do the best we can to make these things as real and as helpful as possible for for all of us. You know, back in March, when the realities of COVID began to sink in, one of the things that I obviously wanted to do was to, to pray. And so I did the best I could to quiet my spirit and assume a listening posture and then try to ask God, how would you have me to pray? And I felt like I got an answer that was really clear. And that, that answer was, pray that we will learn from this as individuals and as a church, that we would learn from this. And I'm not the only one, certainly, who sensed something like that. The president of Biola University, he recently wrote an open letter to his students, and he reminded them that sometimes if if you pray for a fast pass through a challenging time, that is going to keep you from growing. It can keep you from becoming stronger. It can keep you from becoming more like Christ. And then he said this. I think this is great. I mean to sound more like Paul than Pollyanna. I love that wordplay. Here's what he meant. A Pollyanna is somebody who is so focused on a cloud's silver lining that they don't see the tornado that is coming up behind them. But an authentic biblical worldview, like we find in Paul's writings, that uniquely equips us for life's storms. As hard as this season is, there is so much that we can learn. And I say that in the Paul sense, not the Pollyanna sense. Well, several weeks ago, we began exploring the book of Exodus. And that section that we're looking at this week contains three vital lessons that can be learned during challenging seasons of life like this. Okay, here's the first. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Here are three lessons from the wilderness. Number one, follow the pillar. Let's open our Bibles and take a look at this. Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22. Here we go. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day or by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Imagine how helpful that would be to have a pillar of cloud during the bright days, to have a pillar of fire during the darkest night that could lead you, that could guide you so that you knew where God was leading and you'd have clarity about what steps you're supposed to take. Well, in the first draft of this message, I used the phrase for this talk point, I used the phrase, follow the cloud instead of follow the pillar. But then I changed that because there is a big difference. When it all appears to be going well, it is so easy to get distracted and find yourself following just some cloud that's being blown along by cultural winds. But boy, with a show of hands, how many of you are more motivated to say, I want to follow the pillar of cloud that God sent during times like this, right? 
During times like these, we, we have this deep abiding notion that we've got to get this right. And instead of just following a cloud that could lead you off a cliff, we want to find that pillar, that pillar of cloud that can lead us home. One of the members of our prayer team sent this to me on Monday. He wrote this. He said, when we find ourselves in the desert, we are not to wander. When God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, God had a destination in mind. He had a promised land. And there is a God who desires to lead you, who desires to guide you. Question is, will you let him? Will you say to God, teach me what it means to follow you and to follow and and to hear your voice? Well, a second skill that the wilderness can sharpen is this, to trust God for your daily bread. One of the many things that God gave the children of Israel a chance to learn when they were in the wilderness was to trust him. Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 16, verses four through five. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go about and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gathered daily. All right, uh, let's talk about this. Now, this is where we find that iconic account of the children of Israel receiving manna in the wilderness. Every morning, enough food appeared for about a million people. Well, almost every morning. On the sixth day, God instructed the people to collect twice as much, or at least when they gathered, there was twice as much, because that seventh day was meant to be a day of rest. Now let's jump ahead, verses 13 through 15. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, everything that God said about this daily bread was proven true. It showed up every morning except Sunday, just as God said. And if you tried to hoard it, it just rotted away, just like God said. The word says that God provided in a way, if you you notice this in the passage, the way was unknown to them. In fact, the name manna sounds like the Hebrew expression for what is it? This way of living was new and it required a lot of trust. There's a lesson to be learned there for all with ears to hear about this relationship between our daily bread and trusting the word of God. That's an important lesson. Can any of you remember a time when this many jobs were all affected all at once? I can't. From minimum wage all the way to millionaires. I I can't ever remember a time when this many jobs were all shaken as as they've been shaken at once. Where our, our source of daily bread all of a sudden felt very insecure. Let this season be a wake up call. Our jobs aren't as secure as we think they are. We're not as able as we think we are to provide daily bread for ourselves. And there's an invitation here 
from the one who was able to provide for a million people in the desert every day, 40 years. The invitation is, will you trust him? Will you follow what his word teaches about work that honors him, about building rest into your rhythms, and about not hoarding his blessings, but giving as the scripture teaches us to give. And for a lot of us, this is an unknown way of living. At least it is to many people in this culture. For some, the gathering part is hard to embrace. There's a growing number of people who feel entitled to things that they didn't work for. For many, rest is the hard part to embrace. There's a lot of us that feel like we need to work seven days a week. And for most people, that hoarding part, the not hoarding part, that's hard. It is very difficult to give as God instructs when you're not sure about what tomorrow will bring. Let's learn from this season. Let's reflect deeply on where is it that we're placing our trust? Are we trusting ourselves and our abilities or are we truly putting our trust in God? All right, one more lesson that jumped out at me in this section of Exodus. And I'll be honest, for about three seconds, I thought, you know what? This one is not one for everybody. This is one for church leaders. But that was about three seconds. And then I realized, no, this is for all of us. And I'd invite you to write this down. A third wilderness lesson, number three, mobilize by thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. All right, let me give you the background of where this comes from, and then we'll read it, and then we'll apply it to our situation. Here's the background. If you've been reading along with us, you know that Moses was raised in Egypt, and then he had to flee Egypt after he murdered a man. He ended up in the land of Midian. He married one of the daughters of a man named Jethro. Forty years later, Moses was called by God to return to Egypt, and when he came back, he came back with a million former slaves. Well, when Jethro heard about this, he paid his son-in-law a visit. Moses went out to meet Jethro, and he told him about all that God had done. And let's pick up right there. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 21. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why do people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people have come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, 
end of tens. All right, what does this section have to do with us? When it comes to church, each of these groups matters. When we unite as thousands, we grab people's attention and we can do more together. I, I think about the times where we brought people to come and, and participate in the covenant annual meeting for our denomination. And they always come back with just with their eyes wide open to how incredible these things are that we can do together. How we, they're blown away by the scope of ministry. How we're engaging in significant relief and development projects all around the world. How we're training and sending missionaries. How we're developing and licensing, licensing church leaders and planting churches and offering camps and building relationships at a national and global level. That's thousands. Well, then when we mobilize as hundreds, as local churches, we can concentrate ministry in certain areas. And we can hire specialists who can develop great ministries for kids and for teens. We can get specialists who are skilled at teaching and, and leading worship. We can offer personalized, when we're smaller in groups of hundreds, personalized weddings, personalized funerals. We can build partnerships with local community leaders and local organizations. That's hundreds. When we get to the 50s and 10s, that is where discipleship gets personalized. It is really, really, really hard to pour into more than five leaders and do that well. It's really, really hard to pour into more than 10 people and do that really, really well. So mobilizing by 50s, mobilizing by 10s, what that does is ensures that all of our leaders are being looked out for, equipped, cared for, and all of our people are being looked out after and cared for. Well, here's what COVID did. COVID pressure tested each one of these. There are some churches, they were doing thousands great. Thousands were showing up. But then what happened when COVID hit and they had to close down and go online, they began to realize, uh-oh, we were not doing that personal care very well. And people are disconnected and we don't even know who our people are. There's some churches that could do hundreds great. But then what happened when COVID hit? And a church of 200 try to figure out how do you do online services? How do you meet all these new regulations? How do you make all this work? That's really, really hard to do if you're just a standalone church of a couple hundred. COVID really revealed very few churches were doing the 50s thing well. Very few churches had leaders who were really pouring into leaders really, really well so that each of their small group leaders had someone really looking out for them, caring for them, equipping them, developing them. And then one of the things that was revealed by COVID is if you didn't have five to 10 people in your church that, man, these are your people. When you had to go to online services, it really felt isolating. It really felt distant. It was really easy to not feel connected. We are gonna be so much stronger on the other side of this thing. If we do what the scripture says here, what Jethro said, we make sure, we say, how are we doing with the thousands piece? How are we doing with the hundreds piece? How are we doing with the 50s? How are we doing with the tens? All right, well, there is so much more. There is so much more that we could apply from this section of scripture. There's so much great stuff there. So many wilderness lessons that we can apply today. But before we bring today's teaching to a close, I wanna show you something. I wanna show you something that God revealed to Paul, who I mentioned earlier. Paul wrote this to believers living in Corinth. Listen to this. 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Punchline's coming. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. You might want to write down these references too so you can look up that part about the rock. Christ is the rock. Hundreds and hundreds of years after the Exodus, Paul wrote these words. Listen to this. Let's pick up with verse 6. Now, these things happened to them, referring to the things of the time of Exodus. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for who? For our instruction. I invite you to write this down. Christ is the rock, and what does Christ do? He invites us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. Christianity, it is a follow Christ covenant. We no longer have that cloud leading us. As good as that was, we have something better. We have the example and teaching of Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, eyewitnesses describe him as ascending into a cloud. And when the spirit of Christ descended back on his followers, eyewitnesses saw something like pillars of fire, little pillars of fire that appeared on them and rested on them. Does any of that sound familiar? The New Testament claims that we can become temples of the Holy Spirit. We can have the mind of Christ. How many of you could use more of that with the situations you're facing? To not just have a cloud that says, hey, everybody, go this general direction together. But to have the mind and spirit of Christ within you, leading you and guiding you. And then to have brothers and sisters around you that can help to steer you if you're losing track and getting the voices confused. Boy, the connection between the old and new covenants doesn't stop there. You might want to write this down as well. Christ is the rock. He, he's the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Jesus didn't just teach us to pray for daily bread, as important as that is. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, remember that connection between the provision of manna and the word of God. I'm almost out of time here today. But an interesting study that you could do with your small church or your family or even by yourself is to look up how the word word is used in the New Testament and look at how that word word is used in almost a bread, not almost, in a bread-like way, nourishing us, sustaining us. We can do more than follow Jesus. We can receive him as one receives bread. And another interesting thing to do with then to think about what are the implications to Holy Communion? How rich is that? Well, what about the thousands? What about the hundreds? What about the fifties? What about the tens? Is there a Christ connection there? Absolutely. Number three, Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. In the New Testament, Christ is referred to as the head of the church. Jesus appointed apostles who appointed church planters, who appointed elders, who helped ensure everyone was being discipled, everyone was being cared for. And consider this, Jethro told Moses 
Moses, you are to teach the people about God, teach people God's ways. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except, no one comes to the Father except through me. The church should honor Christ, and what we should be doing is discipling people in his ways. All right. Well, this morning, I opened up, I opened up by sharing what happened when I asked God, how, how should I pray back in March? And for the last three and a half months, that's been my focus. I've been praying that we would learn what we're supposed to learn during this season as individuals and as a church. And from this section, we see some examples of that, of scripture, that we would come away with a better understanding during this season. What does it really mean to follow Christ? That we come away with a better understanding of how important it is to not only pray for our daily bread, but to experience Christ as our daily bread. And that we come away with this with a better understanding of what does it mean to be a church that, that does each part really, really well? The thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, the ten. So please join me in praying that we learn from this season, these lessons and all the other ones we've been talking about since March. But I'd also invite you to join me in praying for something else. A few weeks ago, I saw uh, a, uh, an article and it was talking about the impact that COVID is now having in Latin America and Mexico and South America. And it just broke my heart because as tough as it is here, at least we have the hospitals that we have, we've got the safety nets that we have. And in those countries, if you've ever been to those countries, they don't have those, at least most of them don't have those safety nets. Not only that, they're so community-based that this thing just sweeps through. So when I was reading that article, something shifted within. And I wrote this down on a post-it. I said, I wrote to myself, pray for the cure. Pray for the cure. Would you join me in that prayer? Would you join me in praying for God to send the cure for COVID? And this isn't an either or. So here's the thing I'd like to leave you with today. As we pray for the cure, let's point people to Christ. Because boy, this world needs more Jesus. Can I get an amen? He can guide you like no other. He can sustain you like no other. And he invites us to be part of a family where we're known by closely by these five to ten folks, but we're part of something bigger too. And we're all connected to that. You know, so let's join us, our prayers. Let's commit right here, right now to join Christ in his work. And let's offer ourselves and our gifts. And before I lead us in a prayer to that end, I want to say once more, I am so inspired by you. You know, I'd imagine there's a temptation during this time to approach church like we approach some provider of services where we say, oh, I'm not receiving as many services. I'm going to give less. And I'm so thankful for those of you, you don't see things that way. This is, we're giving to God. And in the weeks ahead, you're going to hear more and more of these stories of the great things that God has been doing in our midst. So let's commit ourselves to those plans, those purposes. Let's offer him ourselves. Let's offer him our gifts. Please join me in this prayer that we've been teaching now to um, our church family here over the last, uh, last several weeks. Let's pray. Blessed are you, 
O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.